This is the Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. Here's your host, Jessica Cootie, and Huskers Radio Network Analyst, Jeremiah Searles. Well, it's definitely not the outcome we were hoping to be talking about on this edition of the Sideline Slice, but here we are back for another edition. Alongside Jeremiah Searles, I'm Jessica Cootie, and man, another close game, another loss, another one of those games where one bounce goes the other way, goes Nebraska's way, and we're looking at a different outcome. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because it is. it feels a little bit like a lot more of the same, right? And I think everyone in Husker Nation, myself included, was really hoping for something different. Um, and, you know, you go over across the pond to Ireland, and we talked about it. You know, there's a lot of factors that went into this game that was more than just Nebraska-Northwestern. It's how the Northwestern team is going to respond to being on the road versus how Nebraska is going to respond to being on the road. And just so many little factors that really kind of I felt equaled the playing field a little bit more than if this game was just played in Evanston or Lincoln. So, you know, all those things came into factors. But at the end of the day, you know, you can pinpoint a couple things of what went wrong. But we talk about it all the time. You know, turnovers um, are a huge factor as to why you win or lose games. And then um, your third down conversions. You know, we weren't very good on those couple things. So those are a couple of things that really, like you talked about, one or two plays on those end of the front, you're talking about a completely different outcome of this game. We're going to dive into the game, big takeaways, positive, negatives, all of that. Bef but before we got into that, I do want to give a shout out to the, the folks over there and the way that they put on the game. And it's not an easy undertaking. I mean, just everybody that was involved in making it happen. It was awesome to be over there. For me, I had enjoyed it. And the way that Husker Nation showed up, which we're not surprised, but they were right out of the gate. They were so loud. I mean, it felt like a home game. And so, um, you know, disappointing that you didn't see an outcome that they go the other way. But still, you know, the way that the game was even pulled off and then the way the Husker fans showed up and, and were there to support was really impressive. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, to no surprise, right? Yeah. To no surprise did Husker Nation and the Husker faithful show up. And it just shows why the, the Husker fans are the greatest fans in college football. You know, it's no secret we've had some struggles over the last five, six years. But they still traveled and spent money to go over there and support the team that, like the song says, through all kinds of weather, right? You know, they're there to help no matter what. They love this program. They want to see it get back on track as much as anyone else. And uh, so a huge shout-out to them, like you said. Now, my question for you, Jessica, is <laughs> how was the Guinness over there? Was it good? I didn't Did you drink have a couple pints of Guinness? I didn't drink any Guinness. No Guinness. Oh, what? Listen. What did Rome do as the Romans do? I know, right? But listen, did you hear about the stadium? There was issues with the payment system, and so they just were giving away free beer in the game. And so, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... Uh, who knows how much money was lost, but they were just giving it out free. And so I turned around one time, and up in the Husker fan section, I mean, it had to be 20 rows deep. They made a cup snake of empty beer cups that went from the bottom of the row, bottom of the front row, all the way up to like the concourse. It was unbelievable. I'll have to send you a picture, but it, that was a fun part. Oh, well, it's probably a good thing I wasn't over on the sideline then. If they were giving away free beer, it might have got, got a little dangerous just having passed one down over the railing there. But, no, I mean, I, <coughs> excuse me, I saw that uh, the, the beer snake, you know. They do that at Wrigley Field, and that was a pretty neat thing that they did there. And it, it probably helped soften the blow a little bit of the loss with some free beer. Yes, for sure. Okay, well, 
Let's get into it, shall we? Um, I tasked you with picking three positives and three negatives, or, or three things to build on, I guess, improve <laughs> at. So where do you want to start? You want to go negative or positive first? Let's start positive. Let's, Let's start, start positive. with the happy thoughts. All right, give me um, your three positives from the game. Yeah, you know, my, my three positives are the first is a fast start on the Susker offense, right? We all knew that what we saw in spring at the spring football game was not going to be what this whole offense was going to be, that we held back. You know, so you come out the gate and you fire in on all cylinders. You had four different receivers catch the football. Um, you had Garcia Casanata, you had Trey Palmer, Travis Volkolek, Marcus Washington, all caught big passes on that drive and then ultimately the long pass for the touchdown, you know. So I think that you had – Casey Thompson out there spitting it really well. You got in a rhythm really early, and that was good to see because there was times last year that we really just did not start fast. And you want to start fast, especially in the Big Ten. Get a lead, get a little bit of a healthy lead, and take some pressure off your defense right away. You know, so that's a really good positive. The other thing is there was just one penalty in the game. You know, just one penalty. You're going to win a lot of football games if you don't create self-inflicting wounds, which is penalties and, and dumb penalties, right? Offsides or personal fouls or any of that. There was none of the procedural stuff that really flared its other ugly head besides the one penalty there. And the last thing is I thought our punting was excellent, and we made all our extra points. You know, that's something that may seem like a very small Let's thing, go. but that was a very <laughs> big thing last year that cost us football games. So, you know, those are all steps in the right direction. Those are all things that were positives. You know, it's easy to think that, like we talked about, the sky is falling. But, you know, it's a week zero, and this is a team that has a lot of high expectations. But let's be honest, this was a three-win team last year. You know, there's a lot of growth that needs to come to make – no one – it's really hard to go from a three-win to just an 11-win team all of a sudden. There's growth that needs to happen. So, you know, there was growth in those areas, but now there's also things that weren't so good that need a little bit more growth as well. All right, so let's get into it. What were your three big things that have to improve for this football team? Man, the, the number one thing for me, and the thing we talked about a lot, Jessica, we thought it was going to be a little bit of a strength here, was just the lack of pass rush. I mean, we let that quarterback sit back there like he was Peyton Manning and just dink and dunk us and carve us up because no one was at his feet. Now, I get it. Peter Skaronsky, the left tackle for the, the Cats, is a phenomenal player, and he's going to play in the NFL. But, you know, you think about guys like Caleb Tanner, Garrett Nelson, two team captains, and then you add Oshan, Oshan Mathis over there, and you're thinking, okay, these guys are going to be able to generate some pressure. I mean, hits, hurries, sacks, those type of things, and there just was none of that. And, you know, that's going to be a big problem because if you recall last year, Purdue, we talked about on the podcast, you know, Purdue did the same thing to us. They kind of just dink and dunked us. And when you have a back end that's brand new, you I mean, you lose Cam Taylor Britt, you lose Markel Dismuke, you lose all these guys on the back end, you've got new guys back there that are still trying to get their feet wet. They're not going to be as aggressive or be able to be up that tight coverage, especially in week one. They're going to, you want to make sure that there's some tips and overthrows and hurries, and there just was none of that. And so that's going to be a big problem. Something's got to get fixed because the other flip side of that is when you have the young back end like that, it's really hard to dial up pressure because then you are putting those guys in an island. You are putting those guys on kind of more of not exactly equal playing field, more of a detriment. And so Chins is going to have to kind of decide now, do I let these guys up front figure it out, or do I have to start dialing up these pressures to make things happen? You know, okay, second negative there for, for me is 110 yards rushing is just not going to cut it. I don't care if we're playing in the Big 12, the MAC, the freaking 
Division two school down the street. You cannot win football games rushing the ball for 110 yards. That's just not a thing, especially with this running back room. I mean, holy cow. You talk about some really good players in this running back room. It's one of the deepest running back rooms that I've seen in the last five years. You got Grant, you got AJ Allen, you've got Ramir Johnson, you've got all these guys that are just back there ready to rock, and we just couldn't generate enough push up front. You know, and that's not okay. You gotta be able to push guys around. This is a grown man league. You gotta be able to point and say, Hey, I'm moving this guy from point A to point B against his will and we're gonna do it over and over and over again. And so that's just really bit a bit of an issue there. Um, and then, you know, the last thing for me is the halftime adjustments, you know, and this goes for, for really all of it. It's from the coaching staff all the way down to the players being able to take halftime adjustments and implement them on the field. You know, I think Northwestern went into halftime and made some really good adjustments on defense to try and figure out, okay, hey, this is what Mark Whipple's offense is. This is how we're going to do this. They came out and they applied those adjustments from the meeting room to the field very quickly. And I don't think we did a great job of that. You know, I don't think we did a great job of taking the adjustments at halftime or what was made at halftime to come out and try and combat that. And you really saw that in the third quarter. You know, I think Northwestern caught us off rhythm, and then they were able to get our defense on their heels a little bit with a little bit of the change up in the running game. So, you know, those things need to get better. Our halftime adjustments need to be able to be detriment or not detriments, but they need to be assets so that we can come out and pour it on them in the third quarter because through Scott Frost's entire coaching career, the third quarter has been really tough on us. And really, you win games in the third quarter. The fourth quarter is more about game control. The third quarter, in my opinion, is the most important one because that's where you can really set the tone for how you want to end the game. Listen, there were a lot of people that were not giving Northwestern much credit going into this one. You were not one of those people. You, you pointed out, and I've said this all throughout last week, you were very complimentary of Pat Fitzgerald and the job he does of getting guys tough and ready to play and the physicality and just the buy-in of the culture of that program. And so can we give a little credit to Northwestern here and the game plan that they had? And, and boy, they just they were going to back down no matter what punch was thrown at them. They just kept coming back, too. And for me, I felt like there were times that on the sideline, I thought the players didn't handle the response from Northwestern as well as I'd like to see them. You know, it was it was almost like they didn't handle the punches as well as Northwestern did, if that makes sense. No, I think you're absolutely right, you know, and yes, absolutely we have to credit Northwestern in this. You know, we talked about it. Coach Fitzgerald knows how to run. He's been there for a long time. He understands how to get guys ready, and he always is going to understand that he's going to be the least talented team in the Big Ten. But what they did do, and I give them a ton of credit for, is they committed to the run. They committed to it, and you saw it in the first quarter wasn't going great. Second quarter wasn't going great, but by the fourth quarter, by the time things were going and our offense was sputtering in the second half and our defense was kind of getting gassed a little bit, I, mean, I think they were out there for 70-some plays, you know, that you saw that those body blows that they gave in the first quarter and the second quarter to our defense started wearing them out. And then you really got to see in the fourth quarter that long drive that they had that basically sealed the game for them was all because they just stayed committed to the run game. And so really hats off to Coach Fitzgerald and that staff for how they put the game plan together and how they wanted to come out and execute it. And really, again, just a well-prepared, tough football team that they knew that if they could keep us in the game and give themselves a chance in the fourth quarter, that historically they've been able to win. And I say this going all the way back to when I played them. I mean, I'm talking about when we used to play them, and there was no doubt. We used to be top 10 in the country. Northwestern would come in here and give us a run for our money all the time. You know, so he understands what it is to win in this league, and he understands what he has to do. And so hats off to Northwestern. I think they're going to be a much better football team than they were last year. Um, but at the same time, we still should have won that football game. And 
It's a tough game. You mentioned the the new pay, the new pieces, the young players, the you know working out the kinks. And we talked at length about this last week about how we can't expect the offense to be coming out clicking on all cylinders right out of the gate. It's going to take time for them to progress. And so, um, you know, just again the that part of it, and then some of those young players on defense. I mean, Nick Henrich. Nick Henrich was in and out of the medical tent. Luke Reimer had cramps. So you had Ernest Hausman in there. Ba was in there that, you know, are just in some new situations. And so, and then you even talked about how going from the Big 12 to the Big 10 is just kind of a little bit of a shell shocker at first and understanding the physicality of it. So how tough, I guess, was this just out of the gate, this challenge for some of the new players working out the kinks and, again, you know, just some of these players that are coming from different leagues figuring out what it takes to play in this Big Ten level. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. You know, it's whenever you open with a conference game and you don't get one of those tune-up games, it's, there's, no, there's no margin for error. I don't care if it's Northwestern or it's Ohio State. You know, the Big Ten is the Big Ten. It's a physical league. And you saw some of those guys that, not that the moment was too big for them, but just maybe they weren't just quite know what, knowing what to expect. You know, they weren't sure what to expect. And I think of a guy like Oshawn Mathis, who's played a ton of football. Like, you're not used to getting power ran at you 30 times or inside zone or defensive line or uh, tight ends coming back across the ball to cut you and just motions, <coughs> excuse me, all over the place. And just like coming at you again, those body blows to where you become less of an effective pass rusher. Whenever I used to play against a big time pass rusher, I used to tee off on that dude in the run game. I mean, I used to try and hit him as hard as humanly possible every single run play because I knew that come the fourth quarter, those would count. You know, those would, he would remember those hits. His body would be a little bit more broken down. That way he'd be half a step slower. You know, and so I think that happened to our defense a little bit, that they came out the gate firing. But when you play as many plays as they had to play, and especially as a young player, when you're not used to playing that many plays, as especially even, even if it's only 20 or 30, like your body essentially kind of goes into shell shock a little bit of trying to figure out what's going on. So not that those, those guys played bad, but it was an eye-opening experience for them. The bigger question will be how do those guys respond this week? I think How those guys respond in the next couple weeks? Will they be ready, or was this kind of a aha moment for them? Did everything click, or does it kind of bring them back in their shell a little bit and take them a while to get back out? Yeah, you hope it's a learning experience, and they'll all take it and grow from it after getting that, that first kind of taste of what it takes to be successful at this level. I did want to talk to you about Travis Vokalek because mm. filling the role of Austin Allen, Austin Allen was such a weapon last year, and we knew it was going to be Travis's time, and boy, he, he showed that he can be absolutely – um, you know, a weapon, and, and even Scott Frost said he potentially could be even better than Austin Allen. And so, and Casey Thompson really just, you could tell they were really in sync and in rhythm. And it's just a piece of an offense that <laughs> defenses have such a problem with. And so, even he goes out hurt, hopefully he will be back. He said he will be back, but I mean, I think he showed that he could potentially be a pretty good weapon for this offense. Oh, absolutely. And not just in the pass game, he was really good in the blocking game. I know all of you are like, oh, yeah, block. No, no, he was very <laughs> good in blocking. I mean, he was ejecting linebackers, and he was moving defensive linemen. And when you have a tight end that you can put at the point of attack and run behind, it just screws the numbers up for the defense so much because they always assume if a tight end's front side on a run game that that defensive lineman's just going to win that matchup, and that's, that's what's going to get the stonewall there. Not with Travis Vokalek, you know, and he played extremely well in the run game. Big target in the past game. He had some big catches, you know, so I really hope his injury isn't too bad. I hope he can get back out there. 
I mean, honestly, if he doesn't play this week, I don't think it's the end of the world. Get him healthy. Get him ready to go for the stretch here in a couple of weeks. But, again, you hope that he can be back right away because the way he was playing, I mean, he's looking like an NFL tight end, and that's a huge thing for this offense as well. To me, I thought the offense, that's when they really started to mm. kind of struggle a little bit was when he went down. And, and that's part of the handling the adversity that they've been talking about. You, you've got to be able to respond to that. And you could see it on the sideline that everybody was like, uh-oh, you know, when he went down, a guy like that. And obviously he's been a big part of what they've done in camp because – you know, to me, they looked like, oh, no. Um, and so you, hopefully, too, you, with him, if they give him some time to, to get healthy, you can develop some guys that you feel confident in that role as well if, if he's going to be that, that big part of that offense. You want to have some depth there. And hopefully uh, Thomas Fedoni is, is working his way back, too. Um, okay, so how important is it to remember that this is one game? It's a long season and not to let it uh, not to get hung up on it and let it beat you twice and remember that hey we got another game and we've got 11 more to go you know i think it's going to be a lot easier for the players than it is for us and by, by us i mean fans and husker nation and all that that's going to be much more hard to let go than it is for the players you know, when you're in it and you're in your season and you're in, you have to just be in season mode, which is the 24-hour rule. After a game, you get 24 hours to either be happy or sad about it, and then you got to flush it and move on to next week's opponent. You know, so as a player, it's not hard to flush. You know, it's 0-1. It's not 0-12. You know, but the thing is you have to be able to learn and take the mistakes that were made and not make those mistakes again. You know, there's plenty of mistakes on the tape. You have to make sure that you're learning from that and not just being like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get that fixed. No, intentionality of giving an extra attention to it this week of why did it happen? Let's make sure it doesn't happen again, regardless of the opponent, because most of the time it's not what the opponent does, it's what you do. You know, a lot of it's mistakes, the blown coverages, the missed gap assignments or whatever it may be. That just means you need to be a little bit more focused, a little bit dialed in. So players, I think, will have an easy time moving on from this. Husker Nation, on the other hand, I think is going to have a little bit harder time moving on from this. I think that we'll be talking about this game as a collective group until probably the Oklahoma game just because there's really not much else to talk about, right? It's just a lot of, and I've been here. I'm sure your phone was blown it up too. Here we go again, the same song and dance. Like All that stuff is just the, the pulse of what Husker Nation is right now, and that's hard for these kids. I hope that people can understand. Don't tweet that at these kids. Don't send those to these kids. That does nothing for them. That does nothing for the program. You can keep your little thoughts in your head. You can send them to me. Sure, I'll talk with you about them. I don't care. But don't send them to the kids. You know, Just stay with the course, trust the team, and just rally behind these kids and give them all your support because I do think Husker Nation is hurting right now. Uh, listen, people will want me to ask you about the onside kick. So um, your perspective of that and um, how big of a – game changer was that or is it just one of many things that if it goes the other way you know as we were talking about earlier the ball bounces the other way if Isaiah Garcia Castaneda's uh, the fumble was overturned if you know some of these other things if the defense gets one more stop but how monumental was the onside kick in this one it was the biggest play in this game it 100% was it was the it was the biggest turning point in this game you know I get the thought process behind it I do and I understand Coach saying, you know, we had a, um, some momentum. We want to put the foot on their throat. But in my opinion, you do that when you're Northwestern. If Northwestern had the 11-point lead on the favorite, that's when you do it. You know, when you're a favorite and you've just gone, you've taken the momentum, you're really feeling at it, like there's nothing wrong with just beating them the old-fashioned way. 
you know, just lining up, getting a stop on defense, making them go three and out, getting the ball back and going down and score. You know, it does a bunch of different things. The onside kick does a couple things. One, it's super risky. Right, you're you're just it's it's a dice roll. It really is. There's no guarantees to any of it. But number two, you kind of put your defense in this weird situation of like, okay, well, it's a short field, but also it's like, did he not trust us to just go out there and get a stop? You know, th there's a ton of stuff mentally that goes into it, and um, I didn't love the call, but at the same time, that's why I don't wear the head ball coach on the side of my face. Um, you know, I think that Scott owned it up in his in his press conference, which I like to see. You know, he said this was my decision. I think that's big that he understands it's his job to stand out there and take the arrows for um, the media, the public, um, which is what Coach Bo and every great head coach I've ever had has done for me. So that was cool to see. But, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the onside kick. I hope that it's a, another one of those things that we learn from and kind of see if it surfaces again. And I kind of hope not. Valentino's has been a Nebraska tradition since 1957. Get the big red double jumbo deal. Two one-topping jumbo pizzas for only $18.29 each. All right, let's close the chapter on Northwestern. Uh, yes. North Dakota, what do you know about them? I don't know a whole lot about them. I know they're an FCS <laughs> opponent. I know that they should come in here and take their money, take their licks, take their beating, and go home. That should be what this game is. This should be a tune-up game for the Huskers. This should be a feel-good game. You get some young players in. Now, I say all that. This is also this team's Super Bowl. This is – I played FCS opponents. This is this team's Super Bowl. They will never play in a bigger crowd. They may never play in front of a bigger stadium in the rest of their entire career. This is this team's Super Bowl. They have had this game circled on their schedule for the last six to eight months. So they're going to give them their best shot. They're going to empty the chamber. We might see an onside kick from them. You know, they're, they're going to not hold anything back in this game. So we have to be ready for that. But at the same time, the talent gap should be so vastly different in this game that we should be able to go out there, run whatever we want on offense and score, run whatever we want on defense and score, and get some confidence and some swagger back on both sides of the football here as we start looking towards next week and Oklahoma after that. You think about it, it's the first home game, home opener, and there's a lot of players that are going to be running out into that stadium for the first time. A guy like O'Shawn Mathis, Tommy Hill, Marcus Washington, who he told me he cannot wait, Casey Thompson, all these players. Yeah, they got a taste of the spring game, but there's nothing like the game day inside Memorial Stadium. So, I mean, take me back to your first time running out onto that field, just how special and probably overwhelming it was, too. Yeah, it's extremely emotional. I mean, it's, it's a very emotional thing. I mean, you start in the locker room and you hear the, the tunnel walk music start and you can kind of just feel the crowd. You know, you just feel the energy. You feel the crowd. You come through the tunnel walk and it's screaming and it's yelling. Then the gates open and you're staring right there at the student section and there's the red letters above, I play for Nebraska. And, and you run out and, you know, I, I get goosebumps right now just even thinking about it. But, you know, it's just one of those things that emotionally you will never be more charged up than in that moment. You know, I, I played in front of hundreds of thousands of people at the Horseshoe. I played in NFL stadiums. Like, there is no place like running out in front of the home stands of Nebraska that make a special entrance. You know, this is the coolest entrance in college football. These kids, I hope that they really enjoy it. I hope they get a second to take it all in. And then Husker fans, I hope you're loud, and I hope you're really ready to go because this team's going to need your support to make sure that they can get over this little bit of a, a hiccup that we had in week zero. All right, so again, it's, it's going to be about Nebraska, right, and what they do. So who are your players to watch? i got to assume it's more so how do they respond from, from what happened last week, right? 
Yeah, you know, my, my players to watch are, are – it's going to be a little interesting here. I really want to watch how Ty Robinson and Feast and that front three of the Nebraska defensive line, they got their hands in the ground, respond to getting ran at last week. You know, I think those guys are going to be challenged this week. I think of a guy like Jason Peters who's been around the program. I promise you he had some choice words for them after this game. You know, I, I mean, he's a guy that takes a lot of pride in being a black shirt and a lot of pride in being – a D lineman. So I'll be really curious to see how those guys up front on the defensive line come out and get fired up. And then on the back end, you know, I'm really curious to see who separates themselves in this running back room. Obviously, Grant had the big hand and the big game last week, but I think that there's still a really good chance for RB2 with Gabe Irvin and Ramirez Johnson, AJ Allen, like Mark Jacquez Yant. Like, there's so many, there's so many opportunities for RB2 to get brought up that I'd really like to see kind of going into league play. I'd like to have two or three guys that are the guys. So the running back room and the defensive line are kind of my communal watches this week. Um, I don't have necessarily specifics yet because I still think we're trying to figure out who those guys are. Right. But those two positions are going to be big this week. All right. Uh, crazy time for you. Uh, Austin Allen catches a touchdown on Sunday, right? And uh, mm -hmm. I know news this morning, but uh, how's it going for you on the agent front? Yeah, you know, uh, a tough morning here. Um, Austin is hopefully going to get brought back on the practice squad for the New York Giants, um, so that would be a big win for him. But Not it had to be cool to see like him score wanted. the touchdown, though. Oh, it was so cool for him to score a touchdown, you know. And what was really cool is as soon as he sat down, um, Saquon Barkley came up to him and was like, hey, do you want that ball, rookie? And he was like, oh, absolutely. And Saquon actually went over and got the ball out of the ball bag and gave it to him. Oh, so, that's awesome. Really cool thing. Yeah, Saquon seems like an awesome guy. So really cool thing for a vet to do for a rookie there. Um, and so, yeah, so hopefully Austin either gets claimed to another man's 53, another team's 53, or he'll be on practice squad for the Giants in a great situation still. I mean, you're one injury away when you're on practice squad. And staying in the league is half the battle. So, and then on the other side, I had my client in the Colts. He's going to be on their practice squad. And then on some really good news, my fourth rounder for the Bengals, we're pretty sure is going to be the starting left guard for them this year. You know? Nice. So, pretty solid class. So, for we love the year. Bengals. We are on that Cincinnati yes. bandwagon. Absolutely. Go Tigers. So, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> Bengals. Whatever. Bengal Tiger, same thing. Um, but, yeah, so not a bad first year. You know, keeping three guys in the league out of the four that we had in there. One guy did get released, unfortunately, for um, an injury release. So he's not going to be able to be on a team for a couple weeks. But overall, not a bad first year and just a lot to grow on from here. And the Giants do like Austin Allen a lot. They love him. Yeah. They love him. I mean, he's, he's done such – he's grown so much. He's grown so much as a player since he got there in the spring. And it's been really fun to help him grow along his – his journey and this is only the beginning you know practice squads where I got my career start and I end up playing six years in the league so it is by no chance like oh it's over no it's just beginning all right anything else I'm excited to see this Husker team man I just I want to see them go out and dominate an opponent you know I, I'll be watching from the duck blind on Saturday because I'm gonna go shoot some ducks in the face but you know I, I'll be watching and probably listening more likely to you and Greg and Matt's call it was a little weird listening to you guys this week and not being on the sideline I miss being there on game day but I'm um, super excited for this team on Saturday to go out there and bounce back. All right. Appreciate your time. And uh, we'll be back at it next week for another edition of the Sideline Slice. For Jeremiah Searles, I'm Jessica Cootie. And as always, the Sideline Slice is brought to you by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. Don't oh. be red. <laughs> Family traditions mean great food. With treasured Italian family recipes passed down for generations, Valentino's has become Nebraska's classic Italian tradition for 65 years.